That is an incredible story, and uh, I do thank Steve Exaros for sharing a very vulnerable time in his family's life, uh, not just with our church, but with our nation as well. Uh, my name is Rob Wheeler. I am the senior pastor here, and I'd invite you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do um, come before you this morning, first and foremost, recognizing that this is a worship service uh, where we come before you to honor you, Lord. Uh, we do honor our veterans, uh, but we acknowledge that everything that we do this morning is about you. Uh, before I pray to honor our veterans, Lord, I, I begin to just acknowledge before you uh, the last week of what has transpired in our nation. We've gone through a, an election cycle, Lord, and it's really been a challenging week as 2020 has been a challenging year, Lord. Uh, but as a Christian, uh, there are certain things that we acknowledge before you in any presidential election cycle, in any movement in history. Uh, the first and foremost, Lord, is that you are sovereign over all things that happen. And because of that, Lord, we believe that any president who is installed in office comes about because of your will, and so we acknowledge that today, just as we saw in the book of Daniel of several weeks ago, Lord. We also, Lord, are praying at this time for unification, not just for our nation, Lord, but also within the church. Father, there's no reason that Christians should divide themselves because of politics. And I pray that within the church, Lord, that we would set a model and example of loving one another even if we didn't vote for the same presidential candidate, but that we would really show where our number one allegiance lies, and that is with Jesus. Father, I also know that we need to be praying for our president. Lord, as a believer, no matter who is in office, whether presently it is Donald Trump or, as so it appears next, Joe Biden, we are called to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul said this to Timothy, Timothy, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And now, Lord, I turn our attention to our veterans whom we honor this morning, First, Lord, I thank you for the cause of freedom. America's soldiers since the Revolutionary War have willingly participated in military service to advance the cause of freedom, not just domestically, but internationally as well. I am proud to live in a nation whose presence allows other nations to feel an increased sense of security, not the threat of tyranny. And because of the work of veterans, there is more opportunity around the world for people to pursue those qualities and values that we love, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. But of spe special significance for us, Lord, as a church, is that pursuit of religious freedom, and we thank you for that. I also thank you for the immense dignity of sacrificing oneself for another, which, of course, our veterans have modeled so well. Indeed, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. Lord, each one of us has been touched by the bravery and legacy of fallen U.S. soldiers, injured soldiers, and those who escaped harm yet willingly went into harm's way for the sake of their friends. As Steve Ixaro shared his story, our hearts certainly go to the spouses and parents and children who have been temporarily separated from a loved one or, in Steve's case, who have lost them. Lord, give them grace and healing at this time. Finally, Lord, I acknowledge that our full and final hope rests in Jesus. While we do love our nation, we are sojourners, temporary residents. We belong to the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of man. As your people, we long for the coming of Jesus, his fair and equitable rule. We know that any freedom we experience today is only a blurred vision of what is to come. And so together we pray, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now it is my uh, privilege to invite you to listen to a, a friend and a man that I've grown to respect over the years, uh, Steve Barney. Steve has served our country faithfully um, in military service, but also in the halls of government. And one thing that I find remarkable about Steve, not just his competence and his great understanding of our nation's history and his active military service, but is also his theological discernment. Steve and I could nerd out, if you will, over theology and Bible, and it is fun. Um, so I am very encouraged uh, with what Steve will be sharing with us this morning. And Steve, I invite you to come forward and share with us. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Rob. Today, I invite you to remember with me. To remember something is to bring one's mind to awareness. Remembering, it's something that we do all the time. Parents ask their children to remember their homework. You can get out your phone and you can set up a reminder to yourself. And today in stores all over Cape Cod, they're already reminding us that Christmas is just around the corner, even though some of us are still working diligently to finish off the Halloween candy. But today I invite you to remember with me a time past which still has profound influence on our nation today. It was a little over 100 years ago World War I officially ended when the Treaty of Versailles was signed on June 28, 1919 at the Palace of Versailles in France. That treaty officially recognized, that is, it officially remembered that fighting had ended seven months earlier on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. For that reason, November 11th, 1918 is generally regarded as the day for the end of the war to end all wars. The United States reluctantly entered World War I. Our nation didn't want war. Ultimately though, about 4.7 million Americans served. We sent more than a million troops to Europe. Our nation paid a heavy price with over 116,000 deaths, 320 
1,000 sick and wounded, more than the number who died in combat, about 63,000 of those died of the Spanish flu. The armistice ended the fighting, but not the hospitalizations and the needs of those who had served. Nearly 300,000 soldiers returned home with debilitating physical and medical conditions. This introduced a new era of national support for those who served in uniform. In 1918, excuse me, 1919, Congress directed the Public Health Service to establish hospitals for the sick and disabled. Congress created the Veterans Bureau in 1924, the predecessor of today's current United States Department of, Met of Veterans Affairs, or the VA. The motto of the VA is a testimony to our national remembrance, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan. Remembering is important for individuals and for a nation. In November 1919, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed November 11th as the first commemoration of Armistice Day with the following words. To us in America, the reflections of Armistice Day will be filled with solemn pride in the heroism of those who died in the country's service and with gratitude for the victory, both because of the thing from which, from which it has freed us and because of the opportunity is given America to show her sympathy with peace and justice in the councils of the nation. President Wilson called on our nation to remember. Congress officially remembered the end of World War I when it passed a concurrent resolu a resolution in 1926 saying, whereas it is fitting that the recurring anniversary of this date should be commemorated with thanksgiving and prayer and exercises designed to perpetuate peace through goodwill and mutual understanding between nations and inviting the people of the United States to observe the day in schools and churches or other suitable places with appropriate ceremonies of friendly relations with all other peoples. In 1938, Congress made the 11th of November in each year a federal holiday known as Armistice Day. After World War II and Korea, at the urging of veteran service organizations, Congress amended the, the name Armistice Day to Veterans Day, a day to remember and to honor American veterans of all wars. Later that same year, President Dwight David Eisenhower issued the first Veterans Day proclamation, calling on all of our citizens to observe November 11th as Veterans Day, declaring, on that day, let us solemnly remember the sacrifices of all who fought so valiantly on the seas, in the air, and on foreign shores to preserve our heritage of freedom, and let us reconsecrate ourselves to the task of promoting an enduring peace so that their efforts shall not have been in vain. Well, by 1968, Congress redesignated several holidays to be observed as Monday holidays, and that included Veterans Day. But in 1978, Congress moved Veterans Day back to the original day of remembrance, November 11th and it was fitting and proper to do so. You know, I like having a three-day weekend on Columbus Day to enjoy the beautiful fall weather on Cape Cod. But Veterans Day is, and really should, be different. 
our wish for an enduring peace remains unfulfilled. Since our nation's founding, America's soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, men and women have fought in conflicts all over the world. Will you please join me in a moment of silence, followed by prayer, as we prepare our hearts to observe Veterans Day 2020, and as we remember today with thanksgiving and prayer. Father, today we gather to remember and honor the men and women who have served our, in our nation's uniformed services, those whom we call with honor and respect our veterans. Lord, we thank you for those who serve as we thank them for their service. For those who died in service, we honor their names and we remember them. For those who have served and have come home bearing the wounds of war, wounds both seen and unseen. We remember them and we ask that you strengthen them, heal them, and show them your mercy. For the families of those who serve, we remember them and we thank you that you are their loving Father. Give them your comfort and grace. For those who continue to serve, we remember them and we ask that you keep them in the palm of your hand. Shelter them from all harm, give them courage and strength and return them safely home. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Steve Barney. I'm proud to be a member here of Osterville Baptist Church. I welcome you, and I extend a warm welcome to all of our veterans and their families, whom we remember and honor today. I also welcome our, our visitors, both those here and those millions watching us stream online. Thank you for joining us today. We are very, very glad to have you part of this, this day, special day. I'm a Massachusetts kid. I grew up on the North Shore. I'm proud to be from a family that served the nation in uniform. My dad served in the Navy. My grandfather served in the Army in World War I. My father-in-law, Ken Snell, handsome man up on the screen, many of you know him, he served in the Air Force. I'm thankful for the example that they set of service above self. They proudly served our nation in uniform, and when their service was over, they returned home to their family, to civilian life, but always in their hearts were the memories of their service. Well, today, I invite you to remember with me a man who influenced my life and my experience of service, even though I never met him. This is Lieutenant Junior Grade Ralph C. Biz. I later learned his naval aviator call sign was Skip, Skip Biz. In about 1970, as our nation was engaged in the Vietnam War, POW and MIA bracelets were introduced by an organization called Voices in Vital America. The purpose of the bracelets was, and is, to increase public awareness about the plight of Americans still prisoner, missing, and accounted for from the Vietnam War, and to serve as a physical reminder of them. Traditionally, the bracelets were worn until the POW returned to the United States, at which time the bracelet was presented to the former prisoner. Like many Americans at the time, I sent in a few dollars, and when a box came in the mail, I was introduced to skip this. I wore his bracelet continuously 
After a few years, it broke, but I didn't forget Lieutenant Skip Biz. Remembering is important. God knows our hearts. He knows our frailties. And that even when a nation has been through a significant experience, our memories fade. So we need to be reminded. The Bible is full of wonderful examples where God commands his people to remember. In the Old Testament book of Joshua, we learn that God miraculously stopped the flow of the Jordan River so that the nation of Israel, as it left 40 years of wandering the desert, could enter into the promised land with dry feet. Now at the time, the Jordan River was at flood stage. It was overflowing its banks. The priests carried the Ark of the Covenant, a physical reminder of the presence of God into the Jordan River. And when the priest's feet touched the stones of the river, the flow of the river stopped. Some scholars estimate that the body of water that would have accumulated upstream would have been 20 miles long, two miles long, and over 120 feet high. The, million, the three million or so Israelites who would have seen it with their own eyes as they walked along the two, the two miles. Do you think they needed to have a reminder? Well, God knew they did. And he told Joshua what to do. In Joshua chapter 4, we learn what God told Joshua. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he'd appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord told Joshua. We need reminders in life. We need to be reminded of God's love for us. God wanted the people of Israel to always remember, so he directed them to take those stones and to build a pile of stones, not just any stones. These are the stones from the bed of that Jordan River. From the New Testament, we learn that Jesus wanted us to remember him. So every time that we meet to take communion, the Lord's Supper, we recount the symbolism of the bread that was broken, his body, and the wine that was so generously shared, his blood that was shared, shed for us. The Apostle Paul remembers, and he reminds us, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In that same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembering is at the heart of our faith. 
Well, I remember in the late 1980s. I was a new Christian. I was newly married to my wonderful wife, Tammy, with a young son, Richard. I was finishing law school in Boston, and the New England economy was in really bad shape. The so-called Massachusetts miracle of the 1980s had come to an end. I needed a job. Law firms were not hiring, so looking to weather the economic storm and to provide for my family, I joined the United States Navy. I became an officer in the Navy's Judge Advocate General's Corps, a lawyer in a Navy uniform. Well, I resolved to spend just a few years in the service and then to gain experience and return home to resume my civilian career. So much for Steve Barney's plans. Those few years turned into 23 years. Our youngest son, James, was born at the Naval Hospital in Lemoore, California. And over those 23 years, Tammy and I and the kids moved 17 times, living in California, Virginia, Rhode Island. We had four-year tours in both Puerto Rico and in Japan. I also spent four years on board ships at sea. I remember the best advice I got when I was getting ready to go into the Navy, and that is when you arrive at a new duty station, find a solid Bible-teaching church, join it, stick with it, support it, and serve in it. So for Tammy and me, that became our approach to service. As a still new follower of Jesus, I became active in Bible studies. During my first assignment in the Navy, I was struggling though. I was struggling to, to reconcile my faith and my military service. To be clear, beloved, I'm not saying that military service and faith are inconsistent. But what I needed was a role model. I needed to see that there was a way that I could both serve and be faithful. Well, my prayers were answered when a senior Navy JAG, who was the advisor to the Admiral at Naval Air Station Lemoore, came to our officer, Officers Christian Fellowship Bible study and he led our group. I felt the Lord had given me a glimpse of serving him while serving in the Navy. Still one of my greatest challenges for me as a believer was how to live my faith in military service. As a young lawyer in the military, I was, my job was to provide legal assistance to individual sailors, Marines, and their families. At the beginning of Operation Desert Store, the first Persian Gulf War in 1991, I helped literally hundreds of service members preparing to deploy for war by preparing their last will and testament. I defended scores of service members who were being tried by courts martial for minor offenses from damaging government property and drug use to major crimes like desertion, sexual assault, and attempted murder. I worked with hundreds of service members and their families in a wide variety of circumstances to help them solve legal problems involving contract disputes, bad debts, adoption, and marriage. As a lawyer, I was well-trained to help these soldiers, sailors, Marines, and their families to explore the legal options to their problems. But I was also prepared to pray for them or to talk to them about the hope that I have as a follower of Jesus. People don't usually come to lawyers for spiritual help. In fact, in the practice of law, like in so many other professions, we're typically discouraged from sharing our faith with a client unless and until the client asks for it. 
while some may have struggled with that, I took great comfort in serving others with my legal skills. And in doing so, God provided the opportunities to share my faith, especially when I sought to live my faith in my work, remembering where my strength comes from, and acknowledging that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Opportunities to share my faith came about in so many different ways. A client charged with attempted murder invited me to go to church and to worship with him and his family the morning before his trial. The sailor who approached me on the deck of the USS Blue Ridge somewhere off the coast of Japan, his marriage was failing and he asked me if I would pray for him and his family. I stopped everything. We stood together and we prayed at the rail of the ship with the bustle of the ship's activity all around us as the Pacific Ocean slid by. I had the privilege to lead Bible studies with my fellow U.S. and foreign judge advocates in my office on the ship on board the USS Blue Ridge in the Pacific Ocean. It was a privilege to share God's word with legal colleagues from other countries. It was gratifying when others in my office eagerly offered to take turns to lead the next Bible study. God gave me a chance to remember that he once sent a senior jag to me to show me that service and faith could work in harmony. I think we have a picture coming up here of a Protestant service aboard an aircraft carrier. On board an aircraft carrier, the officer who's in charge of all the air operations is called the air boss. That's the chaplain wearing a red flight deck jersey, and I love what it says on the back of his shirt, cross boss. And you can tell that this is a Protestant service because most everybody's seated in the back. I enjoyed worshiping with other Christians at the divine services at sea in the forecastle of the Theodore Roosevelt, seated there between the giant anchor chains. If you look closely to the picture, you can see in the back two large black objects. Those are the winches, the capstans that pull up the anchors and the anchor chains. You can see the heavy anchors, anchor chains running down the aisles between the worshipers. The symbolism of that mighty anchor and the, the links of chain was and is a powerful symbol of God's faithfulness. It's so, so encouraging to those of us who served on the ship. When Operation Enduring Freedom began in the spring of 2003, I was the JAG for the Admiral aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt, an aircraft carrier. We were in the eastern Mediterranean off the coast of Turkey. We had launched several dozen F-A-18s just a few hours before, and these aircraft were inbound to strike targets in, in Baghdad. Picture on the right is the office on board the ship where I worked with other senior members of the battle group staff. And I took this picture that night, the first night of the battle, as we waited to learn what would happen with those air crews flying those combat missions. A little while later, I went in to see the Admiral right across the passageway. We had a very close relationship. He was waiting like the rest of us. I brought him a copy of the prayer attributed to then General Dwight David Eisenhower on the evening before the D-Day invasion. Well, our air crews were successful that night and every night that followed. When we returned back to Norfolk, Virginia, we had lost not even one person in that combat deployment. 
Now, I was a staff officer. I didn't fly a plane. I didn't get to drive the ship. I was a lawyer in uniform. No one ever fired a shot at me. Yet throughout my career, I felt God's protection from me. When other officers eagerly went to the Navy's tailhook convention in Las Vegas in 1991, I stayed home. As a result, I avoided the shameful stigma of being associated with that event in which public sexual misconduct of a few stained the entire Navy and ruined the careers of many other officers. Another time, I felt bad to be excluded from social activities ashore with senior officers when the Blue Ridge would pull into ports in Asia. It hurts to be left out. But several years later, I learned that some of those senior officers were involved in shameful criminal activity during those port visits. They accepted inappropriate gifts as bribes from a government contractor. Some of them were later convicted, convicted in federal district court for those crimes. Some of them are still in jail. To this day, I thank God that I was excluded and for keeping me away from harm. You know, when you get to serve on an aircraft carrier, there's nothing as exciting as being launched by catapult from the deck on an aircraft. I had that experience a number of times. To me, it's not the violent tug and the rapid acceleration that makes it uncomfortable. Instead, it's that moment when the aircraft leaves the deck and suddenly it's quiet. And you wonder, are we still flying? Are we gonna go into the water? Well, one time, not long after being launched from the, by a catapult off the USS Kitty Hawk, about halfway through our flight to Okinawa, our Navy C-2 Greyhound suddenly rocked with a loud bang. That's a C-2 up in the picture. The experienced senior air crew who was dozing, seated next to me, suddenly woke up and he shouted, we're going in the water, boys. Well, that got my attention. Thankfully, we didn't go in the water. Our pilot and the air crew remembered their training. They kept cool. They kept the plane flying until we were able to make a safe emergency landing in Okinawa. Well, through this experience, I was reminded of the reaction of other experienced sailors. At sea with the Apostle Paul, when we read in Acts 27, they tried to escape from their ship in the middle of a raging storm, thinking that they could save themselves. Blinded by fear, they were encouraged by Paul to persevere, to have faith, to remember their training, and to save their ship. Like Paul, I had peace because I trusted God even with my life. Like those sailors in Acts 27, every one of us reached, safe, reached land safely. My point is this. As I initially struggled to understand how a person of faith could serve in the military. But then I remembered. I remembered whom I serve. The mighty God with the power to stop the waters of a river for his people to pass. God responded. He met my need. He provided opportunities to me to live my faith. And he placed me in positions to affect the lives of others. Indeed, their very lives as a person who was prepared to follow Christ and to serve him 
for the glory of God with his strength and his protection. Over time, I was blessed in so many ways as I found myself working with individuals who came to know me and trust me, not because of anything of me, but because they saw something of Christ in me. Well, this gets me back to Lieutenant Skip Biz. I remembered Skip, but I had no idea what had happened to him. I knew almost nothing about him. Then one, one night I was on duty on the Theodore Roosevelt and I did an internet search and I learned that Skip was a naval aviator, a pilot, and he'd been shot down over North Vietnam by a surfaced air missile. That realization struck hard because at that exact time in 2003, my job as the battle, the battle group's JAG was to train our Navy pilots, my pilots, who were about to fly combat missions, men and women just like Skip Biz, to train them on the rules of engagement that governed how they were to conduct their missions and how they could use the awesome weapon systems of their aircraft to protect themselves and others. Well, several years later, I served on another Navy ship on the other side of the world, serving as the fleet JAG for US 7th Fleet, the Navy fleet that's responsible for all US Navy operations from Guam to the coast of Africa and from the Arctic to the Antarctic. I lived in and worked on board the USS Blue Ridge. Once again, thinking about Skip Biz, I did an internet search and I turned up new details about Skip. I learned that on August 4th, 1967, while flying with the Saints of Attack Squadron 163, Skip took off in his A4E aircraft the Skyhawk from the USS Oriskany to bomb an enemy petroleum depot near Haiphong, Vietnam. As he neared the target, his aircraft was struck by an enemy surface-to-air missile and crashed. No parachute was observed, no emergency beeper signal was received. And then it occurred to me. Just 40 years earlier, when Skip was flying his last combat mission over North Vietnam, he was serving in the US 7th Fleet the same fleet to which I was then assigned. To me, that personal connection became a powerful remembrance that inspired me as I worked to prepare the men and women of our US and allied forces for the most sensitive military missions throughout the Western Pacific Ocean. I was honored to do this work that was so essential to the success of the mission and to the lives of those who were involved. Well, let's fast forward to 2008. I was still on active duty in the Navy, but I had returned from, from Japan and I was working at the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs Office, representing the, uh, the Navy on Capitol Hill in Washington, DC. Part of my job as a legislative liaison for the Navy involved notifying members of Congress when a sailor from their state died on active duty. And so one day I was sitting at my desk. I was in the Pentagon and an email hit my inbox. It was a blue top. That's the official standard subject line of an email that advises us of a Navy death. I immediately opened the email and to my astonishment, it announced that the remains of Lieutenant Skip Pitts. They'd been found and Skip had been returned to the United States. His DNA, his remains were positively identified using the DNA from surviving relatives. 
I made a quick call to the Navy's Casualty Affairs Office. And I learned that Skip was to be interred just a short time later at Arlington National Cemetery, literally right next door to where I worked in the Pentagon. Now, in my job in Navy Legislative Affairs, I normally wore a civilian suit every day. But on October 6, 2008, I put on my Navy service dress blue uniform, and I headed to the historic chapel at Arlington National Cemetery. I didn't know what to expect. It had been over 41 years since Skip had been shot down. Would anyone be there at the service? Would anyone remember? And then the chapel began to fill up, including a surprising number of older men in jackets and ties. Following the service, we walked behind the, the caisson as it made its long way through the cemetery. And I had a chance to speak with some of these men, and I learned that they had been squadron mates who served with Skip in the Vietnam War. They had not forgotten him. Skip's mom and dad had long been deceased. Sadly, they died not knowing whether their son lived or died. The only survivors were their cousins, and they were there on that day. I learned that the night before, the cousins and, the, and Skip's squadron mates got together, and they remembered. They remembered Skip and others they had served with, especially those who had not returned home. Skip's casket, covered by our nation's flag, was brought to Section 60 of Arlington National Cemetery, where he was laid among the graves of other young American service members including those who had died in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. The bugle had played taps. Navy jets flew overhead in the crystal blue fall sky in the missing man formation. And after the service, I introduced myself to Skip's cousin and gave her one of my two POW MIA bracelets. It was a day to remember. That's Skip's stone, his stone of remembrance. Deuteronomy 8.2 tells us, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Wherever we are, wherever we serve, always remember that the Lord will lead us in the wilderness of our lives. God says to us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted above the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob, our refuge. Beloved, we are to remember him because we are his. He's faithful. He remembers us. As we close, I say this to those of you who have served our nation in uniform. On this November 11th, just as was done in years past and just as will be done in years to come, we remember your service. Today, you will also remember those with whom you served. Some memories will fill you with great pride. Some of those memories are as painful today as they were 50 years ago. Those memories are your stones of remembrance. Some days you'll feel you're again called to pick up these stones in the midst of your own Jordan River. But today, a grateful nation shares that burden with you. My prayer for you today 
is that you may set down your stones with the stones of others who have served, and that today you may enter into the land of his promise and rest from a job well done. Your stones of remembrance remind us of your sacrifice and the sacrifice of your brothers in arms. The life you build from your service is a lasting memorial to your honorable and faithful service. Because God loves you. He loves you and he knows those stones you carry are a burden today, but he promises that you will not carry them forever. For he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. For those of you who have not served in our nation's armed services, November 11th is a day of remembrance for you too. And while it has become almost by reflex that we say to those who served, thank you for your service, this November 11th, on behalf of those who have served, may I ask that you say in your own words, I remember and I honor your service. Your legacy of service is a gift to our nation and to me. I've had three POWMIA bracelets honoring the memory of Lieutenant Ralph Skip Biz. One broke, one I gave to Ralph's cousin at the funeral, one I wear today. But I don't wear it every day because now this sailor is home. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this opportunity to remember those who serve and who have served in our nation's armed services. And for the privilege to share my story with those whom you've assembled, I lift up and I thank you for all those who have served in our nation in uniform, those who continue to serve and their families. Father, if there's anyone joining us today, here or remotely, who does not know Jesus, I invite them to pray this prayer with me. Father, I've tried to do the best I can in my life, but I know I am not and I cannot be perfect. I've sinned. Please forgive me. I confess that Jesus died for me and took my sins upon himself. Holy Spirit, enter me and fill me so that I may walk with you. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.